0: Side Hustle Show 94, tax-saving tips for side hustlers.
1: Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now, your host, Nick
0: Loper. What's going on? Nick Loper here. Welcome to The Side Hustle Show. This is episode 94, Tax Saving Tips for Side Hustlers. It's tax season, at least here in the U.S., and that means that you may be thinking about how much you owe Uncle Sam or hopefully how much you're going to get back. But one thing is for certain, and that's it. As a side hustler, you have some distinct advantages come April 15th that the regular old W-2 earners do not. And here to help break down all of those advantages is Joshua Sheets from RadicalPersonalFinance.com and the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. If you're a money geek, you're going to like this one. Or if, if just if you don't like giving your, your hard-earned money away to the government, you're going to like this one. Josh is a certified financial planner and has a whole host of other acronyms after his name. I'm not sure what they all mean, but I'll take it to signify that he's a smart dude. There's some really juicy stuff in this call, especially in the second half of this interview. But like the disclaimer on his site, RadicalPersonalFinance.com says, it would be dumb to take the financial advice of some random dude on the internet. So be sure to always do your own homework, your own due diligence, and your own research before putting any of this into action, and I'll let that serve as my disclaimer as well. Now, as is per the usual, all my notes and highlights, along with Joshua's top tips uh, for t- for tax savings, I- are available to you in a free downloadable PDF at sidehustlenation.com slash 94, or through the link in the episode description of your podcast player app. Uh, news and updates before we get into a real quick update on the public coaching project. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all the people who applied, got more than Seventy applications for this thing. So I'm going through them as fast as I can, and we'll sit on the progress. I am really honestly did not expect half that many, so really overwhelmed and flattered with the response. Um, I just know this is going to be a, a ton of fun to put together and, uh, and see what comes out of it, but I, I do want to make sure to be fair to everyone who took the time to submit, so it's going to take a little bit of effort to go, uh, to go through all those. And with that, let's get into the show with Joshua Sheets. Wow. Or the first question that I get a lot of, of the time is, you know, when do I need to incorporate? Do I need to set up a legal entity for my for my side hustle?
1: So you have to start with the most difficult question I get, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> um, so this one's this one's kind of interesting because the answer is extremely nuanced. And I'm going to give some information on it, then I'm going to kind of sidestep around it. But this is actually one of the more difficult questions to answer because there is no one right answer. Uh, most people do immediately stop, start with this and talk, people talking about the rich tax code and the poor people's tax code. And they say, well, all the, the rich people get all the tax breaks. But that's, that's not – at least in all the years I've studied tax, uh, I can't find any of those tax breaks for the rich. All the tax breaks go for the poor. But there are two tax codes and they're the business tax code and the personal tax code. The mistake that many people make is they immediately think that in order to take advantage of the business tax code, they have to establish some sort of corporate entity. They have to set up you know, Joshua Sheets, Inc. or Joshua Sheets, LLC. Mm-hmm. And that is not the case. All you need to do is simply declare yourself to be in business and then pursue your business and you can immediately take advantage of the business tax code. So this question of should I incorporate is very challenging to answer because it's extremely fact-dependent on one individual situation. Now, I would, the way I would answer it is I would say probably don't worry about it at least not to start with. Uh, again, each structure has its own advantages and disadvantages. And if you ever read an article where somebody says, always do something, always you know file an LLC or always set up an S-corporation, uh, flip to the next article because it's probably not to be trusted unless they're just simply saying, here's one aspect of why you should. Generally, in my experience, people are displaying their ignorance with articles like that, not recognizing all of the different uh, different variables that would uh, that would impact a situation so yeah. i'll give my, my some of the variables the first thing i would say is just simply focus first on simplicity of the business the goal is not to incorporate so that you sound fancy the goal is not side hustle nation inc so everyone thinks you're big and impressive mm-hmm. the goal is to have a business <laughs> that prints money for you right so right, once, we start, once we start with a business that's printing money for us, then we can fix everything else. So just simply go get started in business and don't worry about the tax stuff. And then once you're making some money, we can fix all the entity stuff and fix all the tax stuff. And that's fairly normal. Most businesses will go through a progression and there's a natural progression where they may start off as a simple sole proprietorship. They may transition into some form of limited liability company or some form of uh, S corporation. And they may transition on to a C corporation. Uh but the key is be making money.
0: What I kind of I guess what I would recommend to most people who ask me that is you know, I would, you know, like like you said, focus on focus on generating revenue, focus on the business side of it, and kind of you can run everything as a sole proprietor, still have the benefits of you know being a business. And you're not gonna have the liability protection of of that, you know, third party entity uh at first, but you can set that up um, after the fact. Now my setup is a little bit more complicated. I have uh, an LLC with an S-corp election because at some point I read that you could save on self-employment tax by doing that. And it makes things a lot more complicated. And for some years during that stretch, the revenue probably doesn't or did not justify that extra, that extra layer, that extra uh, complexity.
1: Now, in getting started, the sole proprietorship is the key, and that's the best place to start because it's simple. And the only tax form you need is to file a Schedule C on your normal personal return. And you can basically file an unlimited number of Schedule Cs. So if you are building up a side hustle and you're pursuing a side hustle for six months in one business, and then you're pursuing another one for four months in another, and then a third one you're picking up at the end of the year with three months, you can file a separate Schedule C for each of those individual businesses. And that would make sense if they're distinct, unique businesses. Now, the question, I mean, people say, well, when, when should I collapse them? You collapse them when it makes sense. So if businesses are, are integrated and everything is just an offshoot of that, then you go ahead and, and set, the, set those up. So at this stage, for me, radical personal finance is simply a sole proprietorship. And the reason that it's a sole proprietorship is to date, it is not profitable. Uh, it is a pure loss. And so one of the things that's most valuable about a sole proprietorship is that there is a Essentially, what they call in the tax business, I have an unlimited ability to de- de- excuse me, to deduct my losses as an ordinary loss. So all of my losses with radical personal finance are fully deductible against my other forms of- and sources of income. If I were, as an example, if I had established an S corporation and if I were choosing that to be my business entity, then under that scenario, my losses are only deductible. What's called up to my basis, up to the amount of money and capital that I've contributed to the company, and depending on the structure of a business, that may or may not be a problem. So it may be that somebody is contributing the capital to a business where they, uh, you know, it's going to be limited, and that's the only losses they're going to be able to take. Or it may be that they're anticipating that there'll be losses in excess of the capital contribution, and that's the case for me with Radical Personal Finance.
0: Okay. So. It,
1: so at this stage, it's a sole proprietorship. Now, as the business becomes profitable, then at that point in time, I'll transition it into another form of entity, most likely an LLC taxed as an S corporation.
0: Okay, okay. So if you're if you're going through the the expense and the headache of setting up this uh, this corporation, you may actually be hurting yourself by not, especially in like the early years of this of this business, by not being able to write off those, especially if you have some you know capital investment you're buying you know websites and hosting and you know graphic mm-hmm. design and you know marketing and, and all the stuff that you may be needing to to spend money on developers contractors and stuff like that exactly uh, okay so you, you there's an advantage to stay, staying as a sole proprietor for that so do do I need to file anything with like the secretary of state to do that with like my local city with the federal government does any of that matter or just say hey I'm Nick I'm in business um, hire me
1: yeah, it, that depends on whether or not that depends on the rules of your state. But in general, you can probably just be in business. Now, the challenge is when people start writing you checks, are they writing checks to Nick or are they writing checks to Side Hustle Nation?
0: Okay. okay. And
1: so if you need The people to write checks to Side Hustle Nation, you'll file what a simple form with your state called a DBA, which stands for Doing Business As. And all that is, is it's Nick Loper DBA Side Hustle Nation. And then that allows you to take that down. You can open up a business checking account in your business name, and then people can write checks to Side Hustle Nation. For some businesses, they never need that. You know, I've run businesses for years in the past where people just made uh, made checks out to Joshua Sheets, and it was no problem. Or there was a cash transaction, and that's no problem. But then in some businesses, it can look a little strange if somebody's writing a check out to Joshua Sheets, and they'd much rather write a check out to Radical Personal Finance.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, plus you feel, I don't know, you feel kind of cool <laughs> as you know, like you're, you're doing business as, like, um, I don't know, I, I was in a, <laughs> back in college, I first set up my, my very first company, like I was in a rush to to incorporate because I thought it would be like really cool, and then, you know, I could get a, a tax ID, and I could set right. up a bank account and all right. this nonsense, and so I was like, of this really mattered. But it was just um, maybe a little bit of an ego trip. So
1: right, and that, that and that may have its place. You know, it might be that for one business, you need to look big. And- you yeah. need to look impressive. Certainly, from in many things, perception is reality, and that you need to understand how p- people are going to perceive you and your activities. But for many people, it's just it's overkill. And what's not talked about enough is people always talk about the advantages of incorporation, but they never talk about the disadvantages of incorporation. And the primary reason to establish a corporate entity is for liability protection. So you have to ask yourself: Do I actually face significant amounts of liability? that can be protected from at a corporate level and you know for me sitting here on my computer creating a podcast what's my liability my primary liability is if I were to, you know, give investment advice of some kind that were chosen to, that were pointed out to be improper in some way, and if I had represented myself as an investment advisor, then I'm personally liable for that. But right. I don't have a team what's, of delivery trucks. What's your trucks. advice? <laughs> <laughs> you cannot gonna get me there. I've been doing this too long. Uh, but I don't have a team of delivery trucks out on the roads where one of my delivery ride r- drivers gets in an accident. Uh, I'm not managing a multi, you know, a multi-unit apartment building where it's possible possible that one of my tenants could be injured on the falling down the stairwell. So any liability exposure that I have is primarily personal liability and it's and a corporate entity doesn't protect me against acts of personal liability. So there's very little uh, there's very little need for me at this stage in my business to have that liability protection
0: yeah so for people starting out, I think the gist of of this conversation was at least in California, save the eight hundred dollars franchise fee and uh, and just do sole proprietor until you've got some some revenue to justify it and then you know you want to go big and be official and all that stuff instead of um, hyper global megacorp right out of the gate. actually, do you remember in in four hour work week how he talks about setting up like his title, right instead of being president and CEO it's like VP of Marketing Tim Ferriss, and so to make to make the company appear a little bit bigger, like there was other players, and setting up these different like <laughs> voicemail options, like press one, and it right. all like would forward to him anyways. But that's uh, funny. How about some some common deductions for uh, for side hustlers?
1: There are as many deductions for side hustlers as there are expenses that are incurred in their business, and the key I always start with deductions is remember this: there's no one hundred percent tax bracket. Uh, we've gotten in the United States up to as high as 94%. That was the highest tax bracket back in 1945, but we've not yet gotten to 100%. So <laughs> you never want to take a deduction just simply for the, for the sake of taking a deduction. And today the rates are, are – there's nowhere near 94%.
0: 94%. So every dollar you earned, you would uh, – after a certain point, every dollar you earned, you would keep $0.06. Cents. In
1: 1945, every dollar you earned in excess of $200,000 was taxed at a 94% rate
0: oh my gosh and people are complaining about the tax rates now (laughs) oh my god well it's come
1: down since then okay yep it does so uh so that's the key to take to keep in mind and there are some guiding principles and i'll give you some examples that would be specifically helpful for for um for side hustlers but the problem with going straight to specific examples is if you don't have a framework into which you can fit those examples then you're often subject to the whims of whatever the next article that you read is uh couple of pieces of the framework. Number one, run your business right. Simply pursue your business and focus on profitability. And then over time, you'll naturally have expenses that are associated with, with the business. If you're doing something only for the purpose of the deduction, you probably have a problem. Uh, and the only expenses that you can deduct in a business are the expenses that are ordinary and necessary to the course of your specific business. And that's about it. That's basically the guiding line. So, people ask about all kinds of stuff. Can I deduct this? Can I deduct that? Can I deduct the other thing? The answer is well, is this an ordinary and necessary business expense to, to you and to your business? So, I like to joke, you know, I, I love to travel. And so, I like to joke about, uh, you know, the filming of the Lord of the Rings movies in New Zealand. You know, do you think that Peter Jackson's expenses of going to New Zealand and filming the Lord of the Rings movies were deductible?
0: No, for sure. Of course sure. they
1: were. Of course they were because they're associated with him as, as a movie, uh, creating movies. Now, if I decide to take my family on a family vacation and we just get on an airplane and go to, to New Zealand, are my expenses deductible? Well, you're going
0: to have a meeting there? Are you can going to have a client meeting? You're
1: going to make uh, some uh, deals? Yeah, unless there is something specific and that's the reason why we're going, which if I'm going as a front man for leading out in the Lord of the Rings uh, movies, then yes, it would be deductible. But if I'm just going on vacation, and it's clearly vacation, then it's not deductible. Now, here's how this matters. Let's say that I'm just going on vacation, but I say, you know what? I'm going to make a movie, and I'm going to toss this thing up on YouTube. So I film a family movie while I'm there uh, on YouTube, and I put it out on YouTube. Are my expenses now deductible? No, because I don't have any history. I don't have any ability to prove that I'm actually – you know, th- this is actually a serious business um, – uh, expectation. Well,
0: this could and, be a fine line, right? What if you're just starting out and you, and you have the aspirations of being a future YouTube star and this is the first film of your business?
1: Exactly. Okay. So this is a fine line and this is where you have to look at each individual situation. So start with the perspective of this needs to be an ordinary and necessary uh, ex- expense. Now, the other thing to be able to deduct something in a business, there must be a profit motive under the business. And that's what the IRS says. You don't actually have to ever have to show a profit. In fact, there are courses and uh, excuse me, uh, cases in the tax court where businesses have lost money for twenty consecutive years, and all of those losses were fully deductible. Okay. But there must be a profit motive, and so there are a few uh, facts that that the IRS would look at to say, are these expenses deductible? Uh, the first one is the manner in which you carry on the activity. So, are you actually pursuing this in a businesslike way? Example. If I'm going to film a YouTube a video and this is going to be the first part of my YouTube stardom, uh, then I'm going to make sure that I'm probably going to call ahead. I'm going to schedule appointments there in New Zealand. If I'm going to be filming, I'm going to be applying for film licenses and film permits. I'm going to get an authorization from whatever authorizations I would need to go – need to get. I would be arranging things in advance coordinating equipment, carrying it on in a business-like manner. Uh, number two is the expertise of you and your advisors. So, if you have some history or have invested some study and some knowledge into your film production ca- capacities, that would be a mark in your favor. That whereas if I just came in off the street and bought a uh, you know bought an iPhone on the way to the airport and said, "Oh, I'm going to film a movie," that's probably not so so impressive. Number three would be the time and effort expended by you in carrying out uh, your business activity. So if I go to New Zealand and I say, you know what, I'm planning this for weeks and weeks and months in advance, coordinating everything that's needed, and then I go and I'm doing my filming there for a week, doesn't matter that I had fun there while I was filming. Or it doesn't matter even if I was there for a month and I had fun while I was filming. The question is, what was the time and effort overall expended and was this actually pursued in an excellent way?
0: Okay, so if I'm buying fabric and I have the intention of setting up an Etsy shop, like there's some, there's going to be some paper trail, there's going to be some direction to say, I'm going to turn this into, you know, Nick's custom handbags or whatever and put that on Etsy. Or I'm going to take some, you know, photography court, like advanced iPhone photography, right? And I'm going to turn that into, you know, some photo booth business or something like that. There's some, okay, so it sounds like there's some ways to make these expense? How about like everyday stuff? Like if I'm, since, you know, most side hustlers are doing this, you know, from their home office, from their kitchen table, from their, uh, you know, spare bedroom and stuff, like my internet expense, my, you know, cell phone, like any stuff like that. Is there, can I say like, okay, a a certain percentage of that every month could be a, a business expense?
1: So each of those is 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 different, and yes, there are some common expenses. So home office, uh, you know, utility costs, uh, you know, some other ones are probably more common: meals and entertainment with prospective clients or prospective business associates, uh, business travel. All of these have their uh, their pluses and minuses. Now they're different. The cell phone is actually the most liberal these days, where. For me, uh, I fully deduct the cost of my cell phone in my business and have for years. Okay. Uh, the IRS has made that one, and there's some um, s- some specific private letter rulings uh, where I would. I certainly, if I didn't have a business, I certainly wouldn't do that. But it's so hard to, for them to differentiate, and because now that things are fully integrated, that the cell phone is one of those where they're a little bit less uh, likely to be. Uh, you know all persnickety on it. Okay. The rule the long the long standing rule for business uh, for telephones was you know you needed to have a separate business line and you could deduct the business line and you need to keep a call log in your office uh, but the cell phones they're I, I'm not aware of any recent court cases where that one is coming into focus. And so that can be a really real benefit. Now uh, home home office things like internet here you get into the home office uh, rules which is an area of real fear for many people. Many people don't take home office deductions. It's Simply because they're too scared to take it and they're worried about triggering an audit Mm -hmm. with the IRS. And the rules on the home office are fairly straightforward. The office needs to be used to conduct administrative or management activities of your trade or business. And there must not be another office where you conduct substantial administrative activities. And then you must use the home office for business exclusively. So depending on your actual setup at home, as long as you meet those standards, that's where you do administrative and management activities of your trade or business that's where you don't have another location where you do substantial uh, administrative activities to your business. And the space is used exclusively for your business. And that's the big one because most yep. people don't do that. They say, oh, I've got the spare bedroom. But you know, if you, if I were to look at a picture of the room, there's a computer in the corner, there's kids' beds and in a, in a <laughs> guest bed, and there's a bunch of personal effects and personal books and all kinds of personal stuff all over the desk. Yeah. What you should do, if you're going to deduct that, clear out half the room, and make half the room business only. And there should be no personal effects in that half of the room. There should only be business and snap a picture every six months of it and put it in your tax record files demonstrating that here it is. Here's oh, my home okay. office. Okay, okay. The key is proof. And this is the big one. Is that he with the most proof – According to the law, is going to win. So, if you're going to do something like deduct a home office, yes, every every January first, and probably January first and June first, snap a picture of the space. Uh, if you're going to be using your car and deducting your miles, you need to have a careful mileage log in the car, and you need to have careful records. And this is where most people don't. Where why the reason that most people don't take all the deductions to which they are entitled by law. Is simply because they don't have good records, and because they don't have good records, they're nervous about it, and because they're nervous about it, they're scared to go and say, "Oh, I'm going to take these deductions." If you have good records and you've built yourself and you can build uh, an audit-proof tax records, then you're you'll save substantial money just by doing that. Yeah,
0: and I've got to think that the, unless you're a really really high earner in your day job and you're showing you know some business some some big business loss you know on your Schedule C, like I've got to. We've got a reason that the IRS has bigger fish to fry than coming after, you know, a side hustler who's, you know, trying to, build, you know, trying to make a thousand bucks a month on the yeah. side or something. Yeah. Um, any? So I'm like, I'm looking, I'm looking up at my, um, <laughs> my, uh, my home office with. So the treadmill desk takes up half of the office, takes up half the office, takes up <laughs> half the room. So I just need to take a picture of it every now and again, right? The problem with tax
1: savings is there is no one thing. People always ask me, Joshua, what's the one thing I can do? There is no one thing. There are just dozens and dozens and dozens of little things that you can do, which add up to a lot over time. Okay, okay.
0: When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege Any, like, commonly overlooked things that, you know, sometimes your, your clients are, uh, are are not claiming that they should? Like, we talked about the home office because people are scared. Um, anything, anything other similar ones like that?
1: I'll give three. Number one, people don't move when they should. And this is, in my opinion, probably the biggest one, is that people don't look into moving. And they don't look into moving from one county to another where there are lower taxes. They don't look into moving from one state to another. One of the things that opens up when you get your income disconnected from your geographic location is you have the ability to earn from high-income places and live in low-income, low-expense low places. And so whether this was you know, Tim Ferriss's geo-arbitrage mm-hmm. or whether it's paying just simply
0: earning dollars, uh, paying in rupees and living on right? a Right. And this can be
1: done within the United States or can be done outside the United States. I did an example on my show recently where I calculated a, just a very simple kind of somewhat ordinary example of moving from – I think it was – I used Pennsylvania. And I said let's say that there was a young uh, – Something, like a 30-year-old uh, couple earning a couple hundred thousand dollars a year of income. And the only change they made was to move from a state that has a state income tax to a state that doesn't have an income tax. So they moved from Pennsylvania to Texas or moved from Pennsylvania to Florida or even to a place like Tennessee where there is a more advantageous personal tax situation uh, even though there are still some taxes on, on – uh, uh, still some taxes still saves. Okay. Well, if you save 5,000 bucks – That decision right there over the course of a 40-year career, that can be – at depending on the investment return, that can be anywhere from a million to $2 million of assets available at middle or older age, at 65, if we want to do the traditional retirement idea. A simple decision like what state do you live in can be a difference of a million extra bucks. But it's very rare that somebody asks me and says, so, Joshua, I carefully sat down and (laughs) thought about my state. There was an anecdote recently. Uh, You live in California, right, Nick? I call it the sandal tax, but go ahead. <laughs> so, there was an anecdote. Tony Robbins recently wrote a book on money and it was much uh, it was much loved, but one of the anecdotes very popular, he was everywhere on every podcast. He did a great job with his marketing of the book. But one anecdote that he told in that was he finally a few years ago, New York, excuse me, California adjusted the tax system and they increased taxes retroactively on the residents of the state. Oh, that's and nice. finally, after years, he had enough So he went on kind of this massive, you know, him take massive action. (laughs) So he went around looking for a new place to live. Well, he wound up in Palm Beach, Florida, right where I live. I live in West Palm Beach, Florida. So, And he wound up buying a brand new uh, house on Palm Beach. And he bought – there's different you know, scales of Palm Beach, but he bought at one of the more expensive places where you have the ocean on one side of your property and you have the intracoastal waterway on the other side. So you have water on two sides of your house. And he bought this massive brand-new mansion. And he said he paid for the entire cost of that mansion purely with the savings from his California state income tax for six years. <laughs> paid for the entire cost of a massive mansion with only just the savings on his state income tax. And the challenge is, you say, "Well, I, I'm not Tony Robbins." Yeah, but a million extra bucks it for adds, a five percent state—it adds up over time.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to think about. Like, and that's the thing. So we're we're three and a half hours away from state line in in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Uh, you no know, no state income tax, no business tax. Um, it's just like they—they they make all their money from gambling, and so it's like okay, they don't need it. It's just uh, a completely different environment, and it really makes you think. Like over—and you bring up a good point. It's not—it's not that much, you know, on a monthly basis. Not that much on an annual basis, but compounded and invested over over your lifetime, it's like that can that can make a big difference. And we're just talking about locally. We're not even talking about you know, move to Vietnam, move to Thailand, you know, where you can you know rent a place for five hundred thousand bucks,
1: right? Exactly. And uh, by the way, there's a great website that you might enjoy and that listeners might enjoy called SaveTaxesByMoving.com. And you can put in there the state that you live in and then you can pick a different state, anything that you are interested in. And you can calculate, okay, if I just simply moved from one state to another, still within the US, because what happens is everyone says, well, I have to move to Thailand. Well, <laughs> I don't want to move to Thailand. I want to live in the United States. Mm-hmm. But I might be willing to just change from one state to a bordering state. And I just ran the math here. 5000 bucks a year invested over 40 years. Say from 25 to 65 at 10% annually uh, with just level $5,000 comes out to be $2.4 million.
0: Yeah, I think one of these recent years we paid. 10 grand to, to the state of California just like just for the privilege of living here it's like it, it hurts it's crazy to think about oh my gosh okay so uh, people don't move that was that was overlooked deduction number one all right number two is they
1: don't people don't pay attention to the little ways to align your activities in a way that are beneficial to you to align your business activities in a way that are beneficial to you example here let me give you an example of business travel uh, many times I just got back from a conference last week in Dallas now this one for me, I needed to go there and get back. So I just – I flew out there and it was literally gone two nights and it was just there and back. Uh, There wasn't any fun associated with the conference for me. It was pure work. Uh, I worked if I wasn't sleeping and that was it and I got home. And that was what I needed to do at this point. But something like a conference – uh can be a really great way, if you understand the law, can be a really great way for you to do business but also have some of your expenses uh, defrayed by the tax code. So simple things like if you – let's say I had a conference on Thursday and Friday and I had business meetings on Monday – well, under the tax code, I can stay through the weekend and my weekend expenses are con- p- deductible as part of my business travel expenses. Mm-hmm. Or if there's even a holiday, let's say there's a holiday where there's a Friday, if I have pre-scheduled appointments on you know, I have Thursday and Monday, well now if I'm staying in a town, those now are business expenses. Or one that I hope to use in the future is I like to drive. And under the IRS rules, as long as I drive 300 miles in a day toward my business destination, because the IRS doesn't say how I get there. They don't say I have to take the cheapest, fastest. They do say most direct, but I don't have to take the cheapest, fastest plane ticket I can find. Fly in on the morning and fly out the day after, you know, the evening after to save on money. Uh, I can choose to drive. So if I choose chose to drive to Texas, as long as I cover 300 miles in a day uh, of driving on a direct route from my house to the business destination, now that's a deductible business day, and so all of my travel uh, expenses associated with that day are now deductible. So little things like like that, there's no reason why I can't arrange my affairs to visit some friends along the way, okay. uh, and then by understanding the number of days that are business versus the number of days that are personal, I can go ahead and slide in a couple of days of personal uh, personal expenses in there. They won't be deductible. Personal expenses are simply not deductible, but. I can defray some of the costs by including that in with business travel. So little things like that, understanding the actual rules and figuring out how do I maximize. Example, if you have a side hustle business and let's say that you're married and you have uh, two cars, you want to make sure that you try to drive both of those cars for business, deduct business miles, because you'll get a more of a deduction for driving both cars than just putting it all on one car. Some of the little ideas and little math tricks are really helpful and add up over time.
0: Hmm, okay, and so if you're like if you're meeting clients locally, your mileage to that meeting is deductible I assume right and as long as it's
1: not commuting commuting expenses are never deductible but as long as I'm traveling from a place of business to a business appointment perfect. then it's deductible okay and for someone like you, your place of business is probably your home office then now all of your all of your miles to go and visit clients uh, wherever that that is or potential business connections those would now be deductible business miles.
0: Right. And, and I think we should make the important point, like not to go out of your way to rack up expenses because it still costs you money. No, it right. doesn't make sense to spend money for the sake of, uh, of spending money for the sake of a deduction. Like you said, 100% tax bracket because um, we would meet people in the car business who'd come in every every December and be like, "I oh, might as well buy a truck. Like, OK, I mean, if you're going to buy it, if you're going to buy it anyways, I guess it makes sense. But, you know, we'll take we'll take the business. Um, OK, so aligning your activities to kind of some business or, or beneficial activities. Okay. What's number three?
1: Number three is understanding how to probably understanding how to shift income would be an example that I would use. When you run your own business, then you have a little bit more flexibility with simple things like who works for you and when they work for you. So you want to. There are some serious advantages if if you can to hiring family members to work for you. So you can hire your spouse and you can hire your kids. And essentially, what you can do is by shifting income from you to a spouse or to kids, you may be able to take advantage. Of a difference in tax brackets. They may be earning at a lower tax bracket. And then you can, uh, that'll save you a lot of money. And okay. Because it, and that also can be beneficial to employ your spouse because or or to employ family because if there are business expenses that are associated with your employees, those expenses are deductible. Give me an example. Uh, if I go to a conference, uh, I don't employ my wife in my business, and the reason I don't is simply because she doesn't want to work in my business. So, right. uh, so so she's not open to this. But uh, if she wanted to work with me in my business, and if she was able to actually be an employee, where and that's very important that. You have careful records that she's doing work. This is not the kind of thing where, oh, I'm just writing her checks and we'll just call this wages. No, she needs to be actually working. But for many people, they like working with their spouses. Well, if, if my spouse is employed in my business, that can be helpful in multiple ways, including the fact that now we can travel together. To a conference, we can travel together to business events, and now our expenses for both of our travel are fully deductible. Because if she's not an employee in my expense in my business, then the only uh, expenses that are deductible are my expenses. Mm, okay. So something as simple as that of hiring a spouse that can be a big one. Hiring kids can be really really valuable. You know, the joke is if you want to pay for your kids' college with deductible expenses, hire them to work in your business.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I've and, heard this, and this is a fascinating one to me. Like, so I had a friend. You know, this was several years ago, working in, in real estate. And so like his kids would, you know, would pass out flyers or they would like, you know, model for like really random stuff. Like they would model for his like advertisement flyers or something or like, Oh my gosh. Um, remember on, um, on smart passive income where, where Pat had Keone read, like, Say smart, smart. Say say passive, passive. Do you think he was paying him? Like that would be. I mean, do you think he was like that was like a a, okay? Now he's he's a podcast co-host. So. It's an
1: interesting question. One of the things that you want to be careful. It's great to get be inspired by friends who have examples, but the problem is you don't actually know if those friends a know what they're talking about, <laughs> and you don't know if they, what they've been doing has been tested by an audit. So ask your friend, have you been audited, and has this held up? And if so, you know, give a little bit more weight to what they've done. Okay. Uh, the key with any kind of expense is that you want to make sure that whatever expense that you're paying is a market rate. Uh, the IRS has no predetermined that I'm aware of as no. There's no predetermined amount that you could actually pay somebody, or no predetermined um, you know number. For example, this is what's frustrating to so many people when they establish an S corporation with the goal of um, lowering their self employment taxes. Then and uh, they say, well, what? How much should be wages and how much should be dividends? The only answer is the amount of wages it should be wages is. The amount that should be wages is the amount that you would have to pay somebody to do that work in your area. And so one of the keys of, of making yourself audit proof is doing good research and, and recording it. So if you were passing if – if, if I hired my kids to pass out flyers and that was their goal, then what I would want to do is I would want to see what can I hire somebody in my local area to pass out flyers for. And I'd like to – it would be good to have some way of externally verifying that. It's probably not $50 an hour. But it might be nine or it might be 10. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's 10. Now that can be a real benefit because I can pay my kids $10 an hour, whatever the market wage is for that. But if I'm paying them $50 an hour and the market wage is 10, then that that is certainly going to be disallowed. So what how so the question if I'm hiring my kids to model for me, what would I need to hire somebody what would I need to pay somebody to model? And so there's no reason not to pursue it. You call a local modeling agency and you get a couple of quotes and you say, I need some child models, here's the event they're going to be performing in this video, they're going to be taking in these pictures, what would be the fees? And then if you go ahead and you track that and I would put that into my records for the year and make sure that I had that information, then that would be a reasonable fee to pay to your kids for their modeling uh, efforts so you can do it you just got to do it carefully and do it right and substantiate your research
0: yeah i really like uh, i really like that one then funneling that into some uh, you know investment account for their for their education that's cool
1: Right. And there'd be multiple ways of doing it. So for example, people often talk and you can do this. You can set up a Roth IRA for, the, for your kids. That's valuable. The rules with establishing retirement accounts are all based upon earned income. So let's assume I hire my son and he earns $3,000 working for me over the course of his summer vacation. What I can do is I can pay him $3,000 and then I can go ahead and gift him and what we do is all of his earned income, the $3,000 can go into a Roth IRA and then he can go ahead and spend the $3,000 that I gave him for his personal expenses. So that's a way of me getting money into a Roth IRA for my 13 year old son. If I had a 13 year old son, uh, or, if I have a 19 year old son and my, the tuition bill is $10,000 and I want to deduct that $10,000, I can go ahead and hire him. He can work for me enough time to earn $10,000. Now I've deducted the $10,000 of wages that I'm paying him and I can go ahead and give him the money for school. And now I've deducted, in essence, the school expenses. It's genius.
0: <laughs> um, I, but he's still got to work so they got to earn it so it's good on both accounts it's good on taxes and it's good on character <laughs> absolutely no and that, it's really that's really cool one of the i mean we could geek out on this stuff for for a long time but one of my favorite things is you know especially when it was when it was full side hustle income for me when it wasn't you know when i still had the day job and everything um one of my favorite things was to funnel you know, almost all of that money into investment accounts, into retirement accounts, because I didn't need it to live off of, you know, it was, and, you know, with the, with the S corp rules or something, you can invest, you know, 25% of your compensation, I think. And so just straight into that. And then what, what's also cool is you can, a company match. So I have a company match, you know, one to one up to, you know, whatever the limit is. And so that's going to be a business deduction uh, as well. And from the, from the retirement account
1: right i mean in the right situation and this is what's frustrating to people when they hear advice like this is that it's all got to be personally customized based upon what benefits do you have at work what benefits do you not have for example if somebody's covered by an employer plan a, a qualified plan such as a 401k that makes a difference uh but in essence you, you know you can set up and with a side hustle uh the rules on for, on uh retirement contributions are all based upon earned income so if you have a side hustle that's earning you know Let's say fifty thousand bucks. What you probably did was a SEP IRA, and there you're limited to twenty five percent of your uh, of your income into that account. But if you set up something like a solo four hundred one k, and if we write the documents correctly, uh, you could in essence wipe out fifty thousand bucks of uh, of. Profit right into a into a solo four hundred one k in your own business, uh, and you know with the right entity, uh, you know I could set up a defined benefit plan. If you have a C corporation, and we can do what is just sound fancy tax sounding words, but you can do, set up a non qualified deferred compensation program. And there are ways that we can get them set up where we could get you know two hundred thousand dollars a year of contributions into the accounts. Uh, it's complicated. It's not necessarily easy. Uh, the SEP IRA is going to be very simple. A solo four hundred one k is pretty simple. But there's no reason why you you shouldn't be. If you want to fund retirement accounts, there's no reason why you shouldn't build up and use some of that external income and use that money to fund those accounts.
0: I like it, Joshua. If there's, here's a question for you. Because you know, a few years ago, I was interviewing different accountants or CPAs, and eventually settled on one, but didn't end up seeing a ton of value from it. Like I, I still had to, you know, provide all the numbers, which I you know expected, but there wasn't much going on in terms of like consultation or like, you know, tax savings or, you know, kind of strategies, conversations along those lines. It was like, I'm just going to punch these numbers into my form for you. It's like, well, I can do that myself if that's all you're going to do. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. So do you have any tips? And, and, you know, this could be a shameless plug as well, like to, for finding somebody who's, who's worth it. And I kick, I kick the ra- <laughs> idea around on Twitter, like the performance based accountant, that's all I want. You know, if I, you know, Take a percentage of what you save me, like that's that's what I'm looking for. But I guess that's against some sort of guidelines and stuff.
1: Yeah, that's actually one of my backup plans that I would <laughs> love to do. Uh, and I'm not an accountant, actually. In fact, I'm completely unqualified to give uh, tax advice from the technical perspective of I don't have a CPA license and I'm not an enrolled agent. I am a certified financial planner, so uh, that does give me some. I think I I, I do have professional responsibility uh, in that in that. Case, uh, but I, like I'm not an accountant, and the reason I have studied this stuff and know a good bit about it is because I had the same frustration that you had. Is I had I found one good accountant that was a friend of mine, and he helped me out tremendously. But then he left the area, and I've never been able to find another good one who was able to do a lot of proactive planning. Yeah, and so what I would say is that you've got to shop and shop for someone that can help. Uh, but the key is don't shop at tax time. So the time to go to your accountant and ask for advice is not March. It's not April. Okay. It is probably not February, although <laughs> February is when you should be doing planning. Uh, if you want to get them while they're able to talk to you, it's probably January and, yeah, very early February. But the key is that as we record this, it's February 17. This is the time to be doing planning for 2015, mm-hmm. not for 2014 2014 is done there are a couple of tiny tricks that that can be done but pretty much which by the way i have a show on that uh... That his last minute to last minute tax planning strategies that can be done. But even that was a December show. Okay. Uh, but there are only a very small number of things that can be done in April. So shop for an accountant in February or, or, or January and be willing to pay uh, and, an offer just simply for an hourly rate and a consultation. The trick is to understand where what your accountant is doing that is getting paid. And so usually an accountant is being paid for the preparation of tax returns. And so if you want them to not be focused on the preparation for tax returns you need to pay a consulting fee and offer you know two three hundred bucks in advance and say i don't want to return i want you to sit down and uh, and sit down and look at my situation and in that situation you need to be prepared with good data so that they can talk you through and, and help them and help and help you with actual answers
0: okay i mean do you just go to yelp and say like who's a high-rated accountant in my area or do you kind of is there is there any other like, uh, I have no idea. Check
1: yeah, I have no idea. This is pretty, would be very business specific. Yeah. So, for example, if I were a real estate investor, I would want to make sure that my accountant were only practicing with real estate uh, clients. it oh, uh, okay, needs okay. to be state specific because different businesses are very different. Let's say as a side hustler, it would be unusual that you would have large capital expenses uh, you know, that you're you're, you're spending 3 million dollars or 4 million dollars per year on plant and equipment. Right. So, that would be a different different... different type of accounting, you know, structure, someone, you would want someone who's very, um, uh, familiar with that and you would want someone who is you know up and knows how to sit down and do a cost segregation study and figure out okay of this plant and equipment what's amort you know how quickly can I amortize these expenses versus the others that's very different than a side hustler uh, who's you're working from a spare bedroom building up an internet business or, or something like that so mm-hmm. I simply don't have a good answer it's one of my backup business plans at some point if I can make the time <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll start a tax firm of accountants that only exclusively do consultations because I've never been able to find one that would 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 help me with that
0: yeah and it seems like that's the fun part of the business trying to help people save money but, it is but
1: it's hard to, the, the, here's the problem free Get business
0: to, to idea for anyone listening <laughs> yeah
1: I mean if I came up to you and let's say I found $50,000 worth of savings are you ready to pull out a checkbook and write me a check for twenty five grand? that's the challenge and I'm sure that's why most people don't do it I've never tried to ask people for that $25,000 check for that service uh, but that would be I would love to do it I'm just not sure that peop- people wouldn't um, chicken out at the end when they're ready to write the check for
0: what I saved them yeah, I don't know. It's like that's you just doubled your money. I don't know. That seems like a no-brainer, but it's it's a big it's a big check to write. Uh, Joshua, thanks so much everyone. It's radicalpersonalfinance.com. Awesome podcast over there. Check it out. Uh, Joshua, we'll wrap up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation.
1: Number one tip is this calculate your actual income. And your actual expenses. The biggest mistake I've seen in the years I've been doing financial planning is that nobody knows what their actual income and what their actual expenses are. And by actual income, I mean start with your gross income. Don't start with what you see on your paycheck. Start with your pre-paycheck number and then calculate out that number, including what you pay in tax. In the years that I've been asking people and simply saying, How much did you pay last year in tax? I have yet to find someone who knows that number. Well, so when I ask, you know, dear you know, Mr. Client or Miss Client, how much did you pay last year in tax? Usually the answer I get is oh i got a refund no that's not the question how much <laughs> do you pay <laughs> and so here's here's how this can be impactful if you actually do it and you actually know those numbers then what you can figure out is what's the cost of working versus doing something else so many people in your side hustle nation will be married and they'll you know one spouse is pursuing something so i, I prepared an example here i'll just run you through of this and this is a real life type of example of what i've seen time after time of listeners of my show have written back and said this helped so let's say that you have two spouses. One is earning 80000 bucks, and the other is earning 40000 bucks, And both of them are employed outside the house. Both of them are earning wages. Well, if you take $40,000 of gross wages – And you pull out 7.65%. That's the employment taxes. That's Medicare and Social Security. That loses you $3,060 of employment taxes. Then assume that you have at that rate – let's assume that you have a marginal effective tax rate including your federal, state, and local taxes if you have them of 20%. That's a pretty conservative number. There you're out, $8,000. So now we're up to $11,060 of missing income solely due to tax. So you went from $40,000 down to under $30,000 just for tax. Now the big one is then calculate the cost of working. So for many families, let's say you have a two-parent um, household with, with kids, many families, that includes daycare. So assume $1,000 a month, $250 a week for daycare. Now you lose $12,000 for daycare. Then calculate all of the other job-related expenses. Do you drive to work, or do you? Does that cause you to need to keep two cars instead of being fine with one? Or do you pay for workday meals out? Or the big one is just what my wife and I, when both of us worked outside the house, was we found a lot of times we just eat out at night because we were too busy to make something and we we're too tired. Uh, or do you have work clothes? So if you pull out something like um, you know three three hundred dollars a month of extra gas costs or insurance costs of maintaining a second car, hundred dollars a month of having extra food expenses whether that's lunches or dinners that you have to buy instead of make and maybe, I don't know, 50 bucks a month for fancy work clothes, what you wind up with is $40,000 minus $3,000 of employment taxes, minus $8,000 of income taxes, minus $12,000 of daycare, minus $3,600 of vehicle costs, minus $1,200 of extra food, <laughs> minus $600 of work food, and you're left with $11,540 of net profit.
0: That's that's your net. net profit from your job. That's your net profit from it makes your job. It's so sad. And that's why right. and that's why people end up not going back to work because it's like it's more expensive to pay for daycare.
1: Exactly. And then divide that into the number of hours you're actually working, meaning commute, being at work, commuting to and from work, answering emails from home, et cetera, and assume that you're doing that only 50 hours a week, which is probably low for many people by the time you include commuting time, especially in California. If it's 2,500 hours a year that you're actually working, your net pay is $4.62 an hour, and you have no benefits from the tax code for being an employee, period, period. So if you did nothing else as a result of this show, sit down and calculate those numbers. I had a listener call my show last week. He sat down and did this over a period of time. did Did his financial statements the way that I teach people to do it. He said, "My wife, my wife." Was, he called me. It was my. It was his wife's last day of work, and they're saving thirty thousand dollars per year for her. Not working with the tax benefits that I taught them about, with the the costs of working, uh, they're saving thirty thousand dollars for her not working. Uh, and it's remarkable when you look at the numbers. Now everyone's individual numbers will will change. That's just a made-up example. But if you actually look at your numbers, you can coach yourself through to whatever you know you, whatever you desire
0: that's that's really eye-opening, I think at least it can be for a lot of people. It's like, well, I what could I do? elsewhere to make more than $4 an hour <laughs> or, you know, right. to, to make back uh, this and, and probably have more fun doing it. So right. awesome stuff, Joshua, thank you so much for, for enlightening us. I know I've got some, some homework to do. We'll put all of this stuff uh, together in the show notes for you in, in and, in a little cheat sheet as well. So thanks so much. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Nick. All right. Hopefully that show sparked some ideas on how your side hustle can save you money come tax time Now let's go and get those returns wrapped up so we can get back to work. Uh, All my notes and highlights along with Josh's top tips for tax savings for side hustlers are are available to you in a free downloadable PDF at sidehustlenation.com slash 94 or through the link in the episode description of your podcast player app. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll see you next week in episode 95 with a very, very special guest. Uh, You're not going to want to miss it.
1: Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.